Welcome to Fresh Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers and teachers everywhere in the world. My name is Paul Essa. I am a PhD student at Yale University. And I'm Reverend Dr. Rachel Wren, Assistant Professor of Biblical Studies at Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University. Our esteemed co-hosts, Rosie Cantathil and the newly minted Dr. Tim McNinch. Congratulations, Tim! Yay! Are off this week. But we've got you covered. We have tips and insights for you on Sunday, November 5th, where the first reading passage is Joshua 3, 7-17, Israel crossing the Jordan. Paul, it's your turn. So what do you see here in this passage? Hmm. The RCL has us reading the middle of the chapter, which mm. is uh, 7 through 17, right? Uh, and, and by itself, it doesn't make as much sense. So it would be good to provide some extended context. Yeah. So preachers, remember from your seminary introduction to Hebrew Bible that this story comes at the very early stages of Israel's journey to becoming a people. Mm-hmm. They had been out of Egypt for a while and wandered through the wilderness uh, with their previous leader, Moses, who couldn't make it to this point. And Joshua is now their leader. Uh, Because he is new to the role, you know, all of chapter one of Joshua is sort of outlining a bunch of words of encouragement to sort of uplift him and get him ready for the new role that he's going to play. Mm Then he pro- proceeds to his main mission of leading Israel to occupy Canaan in the rest of the passages, I think, mm-hmm. through the end of Joshua. Now, the passage just before it, that is chapter two, is the one about Rahab and the spies, a mm-hmm. very popular one. Mm-hmm. And then the one after it, which is chapter four, is the passage about the commemoration of the parting of the Jordan at Gilgal, mm-hmm. right? And I should say that all of these stories are really fun to read. So if you've forgotten about them, make some time to catch up on the on the reading. Oh, cosign there. <laughs> As one who studies migration and movement of people, one theme that you know this series that stands us very well for me in this series, I'm talking about all of one and five that I couldn't get my mind off is um, the temporariness of the lives Mm -hmm. of the Israelites as they make this journey. Uh, The word machne, right, used to describe their living and housing situation means to camp or encamp, right? It repeats in the episode several times. And to encamp connotes a short-lived home for travelers, typically for a few days or a feeling of unsettledness in some kind of a transitionary nomadic, you know, lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And as you read on, you notice that they lived this way until chapter 14, when they had enough land conquered so that they could distribute among themselves to make homes for, right? The other interesting thing, still talking about background and context, is the role of these spies in chapter Mm -hmm. two. And here, spying is used as a military or invasion tactic. Uh, Joshua sent two men to go check out the land and to return with intelligence, uh, you know, some information upon which they would plan their entry. Mm. And the fun fact is, uh, miraglim, the word used here for the spies, comes from the root rish gimel lamed, ah. right? Foot, ah. <laughs> regal. <laughs> Uh, and if you make the word a verb, ragal, then it becomes something like a unique way of walking oh, to become wow. a tail bear, 
right? It's really interesting. So in Numbers 12 through 13, when Moses was their leader, he also sent spies, right? And he sent them specifically to go check if the people were strong or weak, if the city was unwalled or fortified, if they were tr- there were trees or not, right? Some very specific yeah. things about, about the, the land that they were going to occupy. And so spying as a, milit- uh, as a preliminary step toward invasion is very, very fascinating. Yeah. It has some sort of like a secrecy, creepy, gossipy, you know, <laughs> characteristic to it. Uh, in any case, I bring all of this up um, also to say that preachers take a look at the entire uh, chapter one through five straight. I think it's a really good literary context for the passage that we have here for today. Oh, that's fascinating. Did you ever watch when you were a kid, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? No. Is it a spy movie? No, it's not. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a, like a U.S. cartoon and there are these four, t- well, it's the backstory is too long, but there are the, the foot are the bad guys and oh. they're all, they're ninjas and they're all like dark and covered and they always like come in and, and are spying or that sort oh, of thing. So that's, that's where my mind went when you talked about um, Ragal and, and spying. But the fact that it becomes a unique kind of walking to be yes. a tail, like to, to carry a tail, you know, when yes. you think about carrying that as you move, that's a fascinating way to talk about really it. Really fascinating. Hebrew is always fascinating. I you know? know, right? <laughs> Cheers, friends. All right. But before we get to down too many rabbit holes, what, what are you thinking about our passage for today? Uh, a few things. Um, so... Like I said, the section of the series we have in the Asher this week focuses on Joshua and the very moment Israel crossed the Jordan and stepped foot for the first time on the new land they had dreamt and prepared for since they exited Egypt, mm. right? This is the first time they are doing that. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, this very moment is truly special since it is the moment that they can finally breathe and yeah. say, oh yeah, we are home, right? Um, it is in many ways, you know, divine promise fulfilled or a dream a dream come true yet on the other hand it is gross because (laughs) it involves brutal violence right (laughs) It, it, it is important to highlight that the land that israel was promised was not an empty land, mm-hmm. right? There were people living on it. And I would argue that the people actually owned the land. Yeah. And so for them to have it they would have to find a way to get rid rid of the original inhabitants of the land. And that's exactly what happens in the rest of the chapters that follow. There's war, there's deaths, there's more wars and more deaths all throughout the book of Joshua. I think that's so important to bring up, Paul, because the image of the promised land is one that is so ubiquitous in Christian circles, especially like American Christian circles, because there's this sense that in some ways America was the promised land that people came to. And um, and, and, and it was not an empty land when we came here, us European descendants. Um, So I, I think that's really, really important to bring up. And it it actually harkens me back a little bit to your work with the Hebrew word uh, machane to to camp to encamp yes. because yeah. um, when you said that, what it made me think of was refugee camps yeah. and the way that violence is rampant in refugee camps. So there's oh, yes. almost like this sense of when you are un- uprooted and when you are transitory, that yeah. you are c- much closer to the edge of violence just by living that lifestyle. It is, um, and it is. and certainly that's characterized 
um, by the the stories here. Now, That's the right. fact that God sanctioned it and encouraged it is a whole other problem whatsoever. Oh so. my God, yeah. And I'm <laughs> going to be talking about that later on in this episode. Perfect. All right, take it away. <laughs> yeah, so the section 7 through 17, which we have for today, is full of rituals involving priests organizing the community around the Ark of the Covenant. Right? Mm. That's something that you know, we don't often talk about, but no. it's really interesting. And I missed him for this because his whole dissertation is like <laughs> on the Ark of the Covenant, you know? Tim, Tim you, can just, you can just like insert your yourself here being like, oh, guys. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And then also a fair number of speeches in preparation for the grand entrance into, you know, Canaan. Mm. But before I get into preaching tips and pitfalls, one thing that I would like to highlight is the fact that the process is described as miraculous, right? Mm. And it puts uh, at the center of the narrative, Joshua's reputation, right? Their new leader. Mm. And I'm noting here, especially language used in verse seven. It says, I will exalt you in the sight of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you. So I I wonder here why this is necessary. When in 1, chapter 1, verse 17, the people that fully pledged already that they were going to obey Joshua, like you are a leader, we're (laughs) going to follow you anyway. (laughs) So I'm thinking here, is Joshua's ability to lead uh, still questionable? Why is there a need for his reputation to be fixed, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, the way Joshua is presented here also is exactly like Moses, mm. right? God's presence will be with him like, you know, it was with Moses. And then later on, the Jordan parts for him exactly the same way that the Sea of Reeds parts for Moses. Like yeah. he's being made to be a second Moses. Yeah. Right? Do they really need Joshua or they need Moses, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, really that's really interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, one last thing here is uh, the word yada, right? So that they may know. Yada in 3 verse 7 mm-hmm. implies knowing. But more so here, for me, I, I think I see it as meaning to know by experience, right? Yeah. So in other words, all of what is to follow, that is all the drama of the Jordan River putting and the Israelites walking on dry ground, is all designed to generate a specific kind of response from yeah. the people, right? And I would argue that it's, it's designed to impress a little bit so that they will know, they will be impressed by the experience that Joshua is no small leader after all, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's this guy who can right. do it. <laughs> no, I love the way that you said that because I think that one of the things the Bible does over and over and over again is respect the fact that we don't know something until we live it. You know, like, like it's got to somehow live in our bodies for it to stick. So even though in chapter one, the people are like, yeah, we totally got this. God's like, "Mm, I think we're going to make that a little more sticky. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Embodied knowledge, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, I mean, the, the, the question of Joshua's reputation is a a really interesting one. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just the whole conversation about Yada and reputation, you know, does that say more about the character of the people or about God and God's Mm -hmm. ways? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those are some other thoughts that I really had. You know, it's it's really interesting. And it happens severally, right? Everywhere there's miraculous or divine encounters. There's always this tension between who is doing the miracle, who's receiving the miracle, that yeah. kind of thing. And I wonder too. But you know, I have a I have a few tips here uh, yeah. For, yeah, for for preaching and 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 for pitfall, right? The 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 first thing is the preaching tip. And I, I think I would like to go back on my initial idea of uh, living unsettled uh, as an immigrant or a nom a nomad in search of home. And then I would just suppose that with the Israelites finally crossing the Jordan, mm-hmm. setting foot on the land that would eventually become their permanent home. Yeah. 
imagine for a minute the feeling of realization and mm. fulfillment and being settled at home. Mm. So although the final settling is several, several passages ahead, I strongly think that this passage allows us to talk about God's promise and yeah. God's faithful work to fulfilling his promises. Yeah. And if anything at all, Israel is one example of God choosing a people favorably, granting them freedom, yeah. and then keeping his promise to bless them with their own homes. Mm. Wow, how, how encouraging is that, right? Oh, <laughs> and for anybody who's ever lived far away from home, yes. like this passage just sings, it just resonates. Oh my God, yes. When I moved to the US at first, I cried all the time. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Why is this? Why what? have I done this right? to myself? Right, you know? exactly. <laughs> this and is so the feeling of home is really fascinating. It is, yeah. Well, and it's it's a silly example, but I lived in France for a while when I was in college, and then I mm -hmm. got the chance to go and visit some friends in Sweden. And in France, you know, you eat in courses, and so everything is is very structured and placed. Yeah. And was, you know, mealtime is like super confusing because you're not yes. sure how much is this course going to be and what's going to yes. come next. Yes. And I went to Sweden. And the family I stayed with just put all of the food on the table and passed the dishes like oh, when I was growing up. And I yes. just remember being like, oh, I never knew I would miss that experience of dining, <laughs> yes. you know, but it just felt home to it me. It felt home. Yeah. That's the, that's the feeling that I'm imagining for the people when they yeah. finally step their foot on the land. It's like, oh, this is the land that like yeah. 40 chapters early on, we've been told so many times about, right? <laughs> Well, and so so linked to their their sense of identity too, right? Yes, yeah, the sense of identity too, right? Remember, they were so shattered due to slavery in Egypt, yeah. and they wondered where their God was and who they were as a people. Mm -hmm. And their neighbors had everything that is so desperately wanted. But finally, here they are; they are mm -hmm. becoming a people with a powerful God who has just given them a land of their own. And I yeah. think of. How much, you know, their own belief in the identity would be strengthened by this experience. And I'm sure there's some, some sermon right oh, there, right? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The, that the relationship, the fulfillment of the promise, that all of those things embolden us to, to continue to live in a world that sometimes feels like it's trying to take everything yes. away. Yes. Yeah. Yes. God's yes. promises fulfilled. I, I'm I'm registering a pitfall though, based on the conversation we've had thus far. You know, yeah, I'm going there. <laughs> yeah, good for you. <laughs> Verse 10, um, God through Joshua is going to drive out, right? Yeah. That's the that's the translation there. All the nations and hand over their land to Israel. So I wonder, is this some kind of theft or mm -hmm. like colonialism? Or maybe both mm -hmm. thefts and colonialism, right? Mm -hmm. Because it looks a lot like one to me. In fact, this is a phenomenon that many nations after Israel have followed both in the ancient and contemporary yeah. world, right? It, it, would, it would be good for preachers, I would think, to watch that, right? When you yeah. get there. Yeah. Just be careful what you say, right? <laughs> There's a whole lot that can be said, but be careful yeah. what you say when you get there. Yeah. And I wouldn't preach this passage without condemning any form of colonialism, yeah. no matter who inspired it, be it God or the emperor. Yeah, right? amen. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would also say that uh, stories like this in the Bible have been read very literally mm -hmm. and used to legitimize the conquest of one nation over the other. And I think of the book of Joshua especially as being one of the uh, passages and the books that colonialists who settled in Southern Africa yeah. quoted a lot to endorse their brutal ways to oppress Africans and 
you know, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just want to say that this is appalling mm-hmm. and preachers should be aware of, you know, a literal reading of any biblical passage, but especially passages like this one, Joshua, yeah. Exodus and things like that. No, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, there's a reason that these narratives have become so powerful, but in some ways they become so powerful because we, we shave off the parts that uh, we don't want to include in the story, right? So like liberation and freedom and promised land. And Eddie Izzard is a comedian. He always goes, excuse me. You know, when he's talking (laughs) about this, like there's somebody here. So no, I think that's absolutely right. I think when you preach this preachers, you have to, you have to, just like Paul said, you have to condemn the way this passage has been used in the past, mm-hmm. um, especially for people of color, Native Americans mm-hmm. in the United States, um, mm-hmm. Africans on the African continent, mm-hmm. um, and then just be really careful and and deliberate about how you use it today into the That's future. Right. That's so, right. That's right. Well done, Paul. I think that is a great and faithful place to leave our listeners. I am excited. I am excited that this happened. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks for your work on this episode, friends. We hope you found something helpful in our discussion today. Remember, you can find an episode on just about every passage in the lectionary, and now including Leviticus, by using the search box on our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. While you're there, take a peek at our merch or make a donation to help keep the podcast going. And hey, a big thank you to everybody who's donated. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found us helpful, leave a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you find us. And if you haven't found us helpful, don't tell us. Just (laughs) just kidding. You should tell us that. Until next time, I'm Rachel Redd. And I'm Paul Essa. Have a wonderful week preaching.